and welcome to another edition of Two Steps Ahead Podcast. Two Steps Ahead Podcast, encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. I'm Son Edom, and coming up on the show, I want to talk about something. It uh, has to do with school safety, and the reason why I want to talk about it, I wasn't going to, obviously, we had a recent shooting down in Texas, and of course, everybody jumped on that story, and many things came from it. One, we need to do away with guns. A lot of people have a lot of opinions on guns. And then, um, but that's not what I want to focus on. But the reason why I want to bring it up is because I used to teach at a community college. I taught there for eight years. I've been in education. My education career as far as teaching and my radio broadcasting career has kind of paralleled over the last decade or so. I've been teaching, doing radio broadcasting, podcasting. So I've got a mix of a professional background that I think um, gives me a little bit of a different perspective when it comes to some of these topics that happen in the news. But after the shooting in Texas, a former student of mine that I keep in touch with called me And we talked a little bit about what happened. And one of the things that came out of that conversation was the the student asked me if I ever thought about what would happen on campus or in the classroom if a shooter, an active shooter or something like that happened. And they were surprised to know or to hear that I actually had plans in place on my own that I had developed that we would implement that would try to give the best opportunity for survival, safety, and security to the students, depending on which classroom I was in. I'd spent a lot of time talking about it, thinking about it, running through scenarios. And one scenario in the classroom that is a traditional classroom with just the doors, we had a back room that we would all go into and lock, and it was pretty much a windowless, oversized closet, really. I thought, you know what, with all the glass that we have in the classrooms these days, um, it would be easy for bullets or whatever to penetrate, for perpetrators to get in by breaking glass. And so I thought that would probably be one idea. And then we could barricade the door with the stuff that was inside it and would provide probably the best inner room type of uh, sanctuary. And I was explaining this, and obviously it goes well more in-depth than what I'm sharing with you because it would take too long, probably take the whole hour. And then in the other classroom, which was a radio studio, if you've ever been in a studio of some type, you know that if it's a broadcasting studio, you've got the control center, and then you've got a glass partition, and then you've got maybe uh, the studio room. If you're a musician, you're in the studio, and you have that glass there so that people can see back and forth, and then you have the intercom to talk. If you're in a radio studio, it's kind of the same thing, except you have the talk studio, and then you have partitions of glass so that the board operator can see. And so that provided a more difficult plan because there's glass everywhere. And of course, glass can be broken and then access can be gained to a room. It's hard to barricade yourselves in. But I had a plan for another studio that would provide us with the best optimum possibility for safety and security that would allow for that classroom setting. And so I'm sharing this and the student was pretty surprised because I never talked about it to students before. You know, we do some drills or whatever that the school would provide, but I had these plans in place just in case. Unfortunately, never had to use them. Now, prior to and since the community college days, 
Uh, I've been involved in, you know, K through 12 education. This past year I was involved in K through 12 education. And I would always think about the classrooms that I would go into. What would be the best case scenario for safety? Could be anything. It could be active shooter type situation. It could be natural disasters. I mean, you think about it across the country, you've got, you know, earthquakes probably on the West Coast. You've got tornadoes across the Midwest. You've got hurricanes, you know, down in the Southeast part of the States. Um, You know, you've got all different kinds of things. You've got, you know, cold temperatures, you've got snow, weather. So there's a lot of things that you have taken consideration beyond just a criminal element that you might have to intervene And so, again, in sharing this conversation, the student was pretty appreciative at first and impressed that I had taken the time to go and think about these scenarios and consider how best to provide safety for the students in the class. And it didn't matter if it was kindergarten through, you know, people in a community college environment that I was teaching. They could have been adults older than me, you know, retirees taking classes, whatever the case may be. I was going to provide the best possible environment for their safety. And so when you take a look at these things, you know, you always hear the same old tiresome response, especially from politicians and people. And the first thing they go to is attack the inanimate object and take away guns. At first on the surface, people like to jump on that bandwagon and think that it's a good idea. But are there better ways, better ways that we can take a look at school safety school environments, and provide a better, safer environment for students in all aspects of their daily school life. So let's go back to one of the first that I recall as far as making the headlines for a school shooting. That was in uh, Paducah, Kentucky, December 1st, 1997. A 14-year-old opened fires on his fellow students, killing three, injures five more. Then in March of 1998, a few months later, Jonesboro, Arkansas, you had a guy at Westside Middle School, a 13-year-old and an 11-year-old, fatally shoot four students and a teacher, and then was arrested. And then, of course, April 20th, 1999, you had Columbine with Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold. Twelve students were killed, one teacher Ten of the students killed in the school library, and then they committed suicide. Okay, so let's pause there for a moment. 97, 98, and 99, pretty much a string of school shootings that took place that made the headlines. Okay, now the uniqueness of each one of these is that, first of all, you had a 14-year-old in Kentucky. You had a 13 and an 11-year-old in uh, Jonesboro, Arkansas. Some other red flags pop up, which I'll get to in a minute. Then, of course, you had Columbine, which was probably the biggest one up until that time. And the difference with Columbine was that these guys actually had pipe bombs, Molotov cocktails, and other explosive devices that they wanted to use instead of the guns that they had. Well, it turned out that their explosive devices did not work, and therefore they had to go back to shooting, and there the guns came in play. Okay, so that's 97, 98, 99. You can do the math on how many years ago that was, okay? We're in the year 2022. So you're looking at over 20 years. Fast forward, 2012, you have Sandy Hook. A 20-year-old, Adam Lanza, kills 27 people 
including himself. He killed his mother first before going to the school. Then 2018, Stoneman Douglas High School, Nicholas Cruz, a 19-year-old, a former student, he was expelled. He returns, shoots students and staff members. 17 killed, 17 injured. And then, of course, we fast forward to the recent events of May 24th down at Robb Elementary School in Texas. So from 1997 to 2012, 2012 to 2022, there's some time gaps in there. Now, each one of these things is tragic, and each one of these events, our heart goes out to the, the people that were involved. But there are some underlying commonalities that some people don't seem to connect. They automatically, like I said, go to the, the weapon, the inanimate object. I wanted to, but I decided against it, was to place a, a weapon, a gun on the table and let it sit there while I do the podcast. Because at no time would that gun just automatically by itself get up and shoot me. Somebody would have to pick it up and pull the trigger. Again, what we talk about on the show, it's the heart. It's people and what's on their heart that truly comes out in these type of situations. If I may pause for a moment. London, people like to compare the United States to other countries. Hey, Australia, England, London, they don't have guns. We can have a country without guns. Well, there were so many knife killings in England and London that now there's all kinds of laws about knives and what you can and can't have, what you can and can't carry when it comes to cutlery, knives. So not only did they do away with guns, now they're wanting to do away with knives because, again, you have Knives being the implement of killing. And you can look up for yourself all the mass casualty events that took place with knives or non-guns. I mean, right away at the top of your head, you think about 9-11, which was airplanes. You think about the Boston Marathon bombing, which was backpacks with bombs. You think of the Oklahoma City bombing, which was a big fertilizer-type bomb in a rental truck, a moving truck. So, again, it goes back to the heart, not the inanimate object. If people want to create an environment of fear, they will. If they want to create an environment of killing, they will. They will find a means. Think about prison. Prisoners can't have anything. They're very limited. A lot of them locked down 23, 23 and a half hours a day. Very minimal resources, but yet they find ways to create shanks attack each other, assault staff, communicate with each other, create pruno or jailhouse alcohol. So again, if there's a person that wants to do something, they will probably find a way regardless of what you implement as far as rules and regulations. I mean, think about something as simple as a school password for the Wi-Fi. Whenever I go into a classroom and I need school Wi-Fi, I don't ask the office. I ask the kids, and they give it to me. They know. They find out. That's the world that we're living in. So when we get back to these things, if we look at it from a perspective that it's a heart issue, it's a people issue, and how can we make schools safe regardless of what object is used, whether it's a weapon like a gun, whether it's an explosive device, whether it's a knife, whether it's fists and fighting, 
Remember back in the day, I guess the old school way back in the 80s was you would fight fists, right? I guess you don't do that now. I guess it becomes weapons. But again, over the course of since starting with 97 to 2022, I would ask the question before we rush off and just repeat the age old blame the gun. What is going on and why hasn't things changed? Why hasn't security measures at schools changed to fit the times? What's going on with each one of these shooters? Okay. And when you take a look at it and you kind of do a deeper dive, you find some commonality in all these people, especially the ones that survived, you know, the assailants that survived so that you can question them to find out their rhyme and reason behind what they did. And here are the things, okay? Here are the combining things, the, the things that kind of unite all these shooters together. Bullying. Most of the shooters were victims of bullying. That doesn't excuse what they did, but a lot of it was revenge because somebody or a group of people were bullying these students. Now you combine that with number two, mental health. A lot of these people, schizophrenia, personality disorders, emotional issues, learning disabilities. They've got mental issues. So when you combine a mental issue, a mental health issue, and then you throw in a trigger like being bullied, that's going to set somebody off. How many of you do not suffer from any type of mental health, but will be triggered by a tweet on social media and go off and be angry and mad? You're a normal person, but now you're mad and upset at somebody that said something on social media about you or about whatever, and therefore you go off, and then you think it's okay. Now take that to the point of if you have a mental illness and you're not thinking clearly, you're not in your right frame of mind, and someone is bullying you in person, doing all kinds of things to you, making fun of you, maybe stealing your books, maybe doing physical harm to you, that's going to trigger somebody who is unstable to not only react, but to react in such a fashion that is unreasonable. This is the main thing. Okay, so you have bullying, you have mental health issues, you have irresponsible gun ownership. Again, it's not the gun, it's the ownership. A 13-year-old, an 11-year-old, a 14-year-old. 18, I guess that's a little different story. 19, 20, Adam Lanza, that's a little different story. But again, 14, 13, 11, you have irresponsible gun ownership. If those parents had the weapons, had the guns stored in the manner in which they should be, then this might not happen. Again, the 18, 19, and 20-year-olds might be a different story. But again, parenting is a big part of this. I think it's hard to believe the stories that you hear coming out of Texas because everything is so awash in all kinds of fairy tales, all kinds of misinformation, if you want to call it that, all kinds of stories changing. I mean, first off, you had the story that the shooter got into the elementary school with an unlocked door. Then it was the unlocked door was left open by a teacher who had a rock propping the door open. Then it was like, no, she closed it, and it was still unlocked because it didn't lock automatically. So there's all these stories as to what happened and how the 
shooter got into the elementary school in Texas. Then you have things like the police delayed. The police went in right away. Then they delayed. Then they waited for other type of equipment. And then you had a mom come down, want to go in. She got handcuffed, got out of handcuffs, hopped the fence, went in, got her children and brought them out. Off-duty guy goes in and confronts the shooter. So you get all these stories, and so I'm not sure exactly what to believe, although something bad did happen and there's an investigation now going on. But the mother, I think she came out with a statement, if it's true, telling people not to blame her son for what happened, not to hold her son responsible. But see, parenting has to be an issue in this. Okay, you got bullying, you got mental health issues, you've got parenting issues, whether it be bad gun uh, ownership or just parenting issues where the parent is out of touch with the kid. This is what is creating the formula, the recipe for these type of things to happen. If Adam Lanza has mental health issues, why isn't he being treated? If another kid, Nicholas Cruz, is getting kicked out of school, where's the follow-up? We don't get that very often. Police response is another commonality. Rob Elementary School, Stoneman High School, Columbine, the police heavily criticized for their response to the shooting, delayed action. Okay, again, these are commonalities. You can do the research as to what is going on with these shootings. You got bullying. Most of the shooters suffered from being bullied. Mental health, schizophrenia, personality disorders, emotional issues. Irresponsible gun ownership, police response. Four so far. And I'm sorry, we don't want police officers to get hurt. But in situations like this, I'm just going to be blunt and cold about it. It's your job. It's your job to go in there and protect the innocent lives. That's what you're signed up to do. If you're not willing to do that, maybe you should reconsider your career. I mean, could you imagine a firefighter not wanting to run into a burning building? That's his job, to put out the fire. Military, their job is to run into battle, fight the enemy. If you don't want to do your job, maybe you should consider something else. Might get blowback for that, but that's truth. We spoke the last podcast episode on speaking truth. If you're a teacher, you're there to educate the student, although teachers do all kinds of things, and we may get to that if we have time later. That might be a podcast for next time. But if you're a police officer, you're supposed to protect and serve. Protect the community and serve the community. And the protection that is required in an active shooting situation is for you to go after the guy that's doing the shooting, not wait around an hour, like in Columbine, like here, maybe down Stoneman, and let the shooter walk around for an hour doing his business. Uh, Places with little or no security or resistance. Some of it has gotten to the point where these doors are supposed to be locked, and a lot of schools have locked entry where you can't get in without being buzzed in. But again, it's very minimal. In this case, whatever the story was, there was an unlocked door that he was able to breach and get in. And then, of course, you have the outside influences, such as video games and social media. Okay, So these are the commonalities that all these shootings have in common, in case you don't know what commonality means. The, the perpetrators have all been bullied. They all suffered from mental health or some sort of mental health issue. There was irresponsible gun ownership involved. The police response to a lot of these is being questioned, criticized, investigated. 
places with limited security, which is what I really want to get to, and then outside influences such as video games and social media. You combine all those together, starting with the fact that you've got mental health issues being triggered by bullying, which excites the person, gets them going to these thoughts of what they want to do to exact their revenge. Now they have access, and then they go after it, and they find a means to get whatever it is that they want the end result to be done. So my question is this, since 1997, let's start there. Why hasn't security measures increased in schools since 97? All right, think about that. Think about the schools that you're involved with, that your kids go to, okay? Some may have security measures, others might not. A lot of the schools that I went to this past year, you had to get buzzed in. There's a video system that can see who's buzzing. They can have an intercom system to ask what it is that their business there for. You know, if a parent wants to come drop off a lunch or maybe it's a cold day and the kid forgot a jacket or whatever. So there's security measures, and that's fine. Um, but that's only going to hold people back because, again, you have glass doors. People can penetrate a glass door pretty easily. So you'd have to look at then the construction of the building. Uh, locked doors. Okay, so if you have cameras, so these are some solutions. Okay, let's just get to the solutions that I feel would, after thinking it through, like I said, teaching almost 10 years at a community college, other years at K through 12 type schools. And my education, my teaching uh, career is going to continue on at different levels as I move forward. Okay, but cameras monitored by security officers who can call 911 immediately. If that's the case, that would be something that you think would be easy. I know in a local school district that uh, I'm a part of, they're actually going to include cameras in common ways like hallways and stuff like that. But who's going to be monitoring them? See, again, America is a reactive society. Okay, when 9-11 happened, we all had to take off our shoes at some point because a guy tried to blow up a plane with a shoe bomb. Good thing we don't have to take off our underwear because the dude wasn't successful blowing up a plane with his underwear bomb. But we're reactive. So now we all take off our shoes. We can no longer, without a ticket, go to the gate. Remember back in the day, you used to be able to walk with whoever's leaving on the trip to the actual gate, wave goodbye, or welcome them off the plane right there at the gate. We can't do that. We go through uh, security measures that have increased. All kinds of security measures have increased since 9-11 including where you have to stand there, put your arms up, put your feet on the two yellow things on the floor, and then the machine spins around you, and then it comes out, and it registers whatever it is it's registering. And then your bags are going through not just an X-ray machine, but now they have machines that can detect chemicals and aerosols and scents, I guess. You know, Then if you have something in your backpack, you can only carry a certain amount or certain ounces of eye solution, hairspray, shampoo, whatever. If you have the bigger ones, no can do. Your bag gets pulled to the side and gets manually searched and you questioned. Okay? These are all advanced security measures that have taken place, things that you can and cannot bring on a plane. Okay? And so, again, we've had advanced security measures. Think about all the security measures to go to a baseball game or some sort of sporting event. All the security measures going to a concert. All the security measures, like we mentioned at the airport and other places, okay? There's all kinds of security measures that you have to go through. All kinds of security are involved in keeping you safe while you are attending the event that you go to. But yet every single day, 
students are going to a school where the security measures are lax. And what security measures they have are the people involved with them fully trained. And see, that's not to blame anybody at the schools because their job is to educate and to run to schools. That's why you need this conversation because it's going to require a change in thought, a change in mindset as to how you approach this situation. So again, cameras monitored by somebody that could actually call 911 if there's something there. Not just cameras that you can go back to and see, oh, this is what happened. How can we change? Take an active approach to it. Lock the doors and maybe have an escort if someone comes in and escort them wherever they need to go. Somebody other than maybe a school official, maybe a security guard, maybe somebody that's a little bit more trained in the aspects of safety and security. Screenings, middle schools, high schools. I know back in the 80s when there was a lot of gang violence in Los Angeles, a lot of schools actually kind of looked like prisons. And they want to do away with metal detectors and stuff like that. But technology has changed. I mean, I went to the mall the other day and I saw a sign on the mall that said no weapons and that they have like gun smelling dogs. I guess dogs that are trained to pick up the scent of somebody who has a weapon on them. Maybe something as simple as a person with a dog that can detect something. I mean, dogs can detect a lot of things. How many times do you see somebody walking with a dog and it can detect the body's chemical change and indicate to the dog's owner, the person suffering from maybe epilepsy and seizures, that they're about to have a seizure before the seizure happens. Okay? So again, thinking outside the box, changing our mindset, maybe that's something that we need to do is how do we have these better screenings to get kids at middle school and at high schools, safer. Maybe we think about having guards on the property. I know that's a big thing that's come up. Maybe you have fences, no open campuses. Again, you can do it so it's trendy and interior designers can come out. And I guess it'd be exterior designers. But don't to make it look like a prison. You can make it very inviting. Maybe that's something to think about, right? School construction. Doors that open into the classroom instead of out to the hallway so that you can barricade the door, so that even if it's locked and they get the lock open, they can pull the door open and have access to the room. But now if they get the lock unlocked, they're trying to push in. You have a chance to barricade the door as a second line of defense. Maybe what you can do is create doors and windows bulletproof so that if someone does actually try to shoot out a window, it's not going to go anywhere. So maybe you have to kind of consider the design of new schools and maybe replace some things. I mean, you had to go back and retrofit a lot of stuff, a lot of buildings in Los Angeles because, because of earthquake safety. They didn't want buildings tumbling down, so you had to retrofit, became the buzzword. Why can't we go back and retrofit schools for safety? What about a zero tolerance for bullying? Sure, we have zero tolerance policies, but a lot of times they're not enforced. They're not enforced because the parents will threaten to sue. They're not enforced because teachers, just it's too much for them to deal with. And school administrators, it's too much because they got maybe a few of these students that are causing problems. Maybe have mandated counseling for bullies and victims of bullies. Maybe you have to increase the budget for mental health on campuses. More school counselors, more psychologists 
more people available. Maybe on professional development days, instead of having a sixth day of professional development where you go over curriculum or where you go over teaching plans, lesson plans, which is all important, but maybe you actually have a professional development day on how teachers can provide a safer and more secure environment for the classroom. Not only physical safety, but mental well health, you know, mental health safety. You know, how to maybe see what students might be suffering or might be showing signs or symptoms of something. You know, maybe just wellness days where the teachers come together and they have a wellness day, take care of themselves. Maybe there's other ways to utilize professional development. I was in a school recently where they had D.A.R.E., an officer from the local police, come in and talk to the kids about drugs and do a whole curriculum once a week for a number of weeks talking about don't do drugs. Why not for teachers have development? I spent uh, some time working as a security officer, both armed and unarmed, from Paul, being Paul Blart Mall cop to uh, bodyguard. For example, Joan Rivers on a uh, TV shoot in Beverly Hills, I had to be close proximity security for her. So I've kind of run the gamut when it comes to security things. So I've been trained. I'm not a professional security expert, but I do have some training. I've taken some classes, watched some videos, listened to experts. So again, that's gotten my mindset focused on looking at these issues with security in mind. Maybe that's, you got to retrain. You know, teachers are focused on teaching and education and academia, which is what they're supposed to do. Okay, but now we're looking at maybe we need to, because of the climate that we're in, give them a little bit of preparedness. I mean, think about, I don't know when you went to school, but remember when you had to like practice getting under your desk because an earthquake is going to happen and you don't want things to fall on you. But what would happen if the earthquake did happen? And in Los Angeles, you had the big one that we've been expecting what if there was a mass casualty event with that? Are the teachers going to be equipped to know how to do first aid to just try to help a student until first responders can arrive? You know, basic things that they might be able to do. No, we just get under a desk and hope for the best. Or back in the Cold War, I heard stories that they would get under their desk for a nuclear disaster when a nuclear disaster is going to obliterate them. So getting under the desk was pointless. Or when you crash on an airplane, you got to put your hands over your head and put your head between your knees. Hope that saves your life. The flight attendants, are they prepared to get you off the plane? They might have more preparation than a a teacher in the classroom. Flight transportation, flying an airplane, I've read, is one of the safest forms of transportation. But you know those flight attendants, pilots are trained Maybe not to deal with a 9-11 size event, but if there's some sort of incident, they've got some training or at least some resources or at least something. And then what happened after 9-11? Air marshals got on the plane, became more prominent. So again, when these things happen, you have to sit there and you have to rethink from a different perspective and not just the same things that they've been going on. And then as they push for this gun control and as they push for the same old rhetoric, why haven't they done anything in the last 20 some years? It's been almost, well, 25 years since 1997 in Paducah, Kentucky. And you look, and who's in office on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C.? The same people. 
Same people have been there forever. They don't do anything. All they do is have a knee-jerk reaction to save their political careers. And the only people that suffer, law-abiding people. And yet there's a whole southern border of people just coming in here. So again, when you look at it, there's no common sense. There's no reason. There's nothing there that tells us that they know what they're doing. It's just a knee-jerk reaction to something so that they can save their political careers. If they were really concerned about safety of students, they would have done something a long time ago. If they would have taken these measures, maybe some of these more recent shootings, and you think about outside of the school setting, I mean, think about Las Vegas. You think about, was it Thousand Oaks, the country bar in Thousand Oaks, and then some people repeated the experience at the country concert in Las Vegas. You had San Bernardino. You had the McDonald's down by San Diego back in the 80s. You know, you have all these different things, and yet nothing changes. It's the same old tired rhetoric. But with schools, these are some of the things that you can do. Now, one of the things that I don't recommend is arming teachers. I don't think arming teachers is a good idea. Because, first of all, you got people that aren't going to be able to handle that stressful situation. Okay? I've seen a lot of teachers over the course of my career, and there's a lot of teachers that can't handle it. Second of all, do you really want some of those teachers to be armed in a panicked situation without being fully trained? That could cause even further damage, further injury to people. I mean, think about the earthquakes. If an earthquake happened, I remember several times earthquakes happening uh, during high school, nothing too severe, uh, at least at my high school. But some of the teachers got rattled. They were like, wow. And we had to, like, take a few moments and kind of recollect ourselves. Okay? So imagine if there's something greater, what would happen? What about across the Midwest? Tornadoes. Hurricanes. Other elements that might happen. What about just something that happens because a student gets upset and has a meltdown? Okay, I witnessed one time a student have a, a meltdown and they had to close all the doors and lock the doors in a wing because they didn't know what the student was going to do. Fortunately, he didn't do anything. He just kind of freaked out in the hallways. But again, I've seen it. I've witnessed it. Okay, Fortunately, the people involved in that situation handled it, knew exactly what to do, calm, collective, and everything was fine. They protected everybody, and eventually the kid calmed down. So they were prepared. They were equipped. But when it gets to bigger things, such as school shootings and stuff like that, we need to rethink some of these things. But here's the other thing, too, okay? So here's the other thing. Would you really want someone like this, okay, having a gun on campus during a crisis situation? This video is for language teachers. If you don't know who I am, my name's Blossom. I use they, them pronouns in English, A in Espanol, y en Francais. I'm an educational consultant for gender and sexuality, and I specifically did my research on transgender people's attitudes towards pronoun usage in their native and additional languages. And this is me telling you that within whatever language you speak, non-binary people exist. And non-binary people are creating language so that they don't have to adhere to the gender binary. So we, as language teachers, need to be teaching our students, giving our students access to this language, especially for our non-binary students, regardless of if that language is accepted by a linguistic regulatory body. 
Do you think that teacher, Blossom, would be able to handle a gun? First of all, Blossom wouldn't. Blossom would turn it down. But it doesn't sound to me like Blossom's going to be able to handle any type of crisis situation to begin with. That's another problem. We've got teachers that aren't even equipped or prepared mentally to handle pronouns, let alone handle a crisis situation. A few podcasts ago, we had a teacher that was crying practically or in hysterics over the fact that she did not know what she wanted her students to call her or him or whatever. She was confused about the pronouns. So if you can't even figure out what pronoun you are or what gender you are, do you really want these teachers to be armed? No, of course not. Or what about this one? I am so tired of catering to cis people's feelings because I do. I do it every time I go to a restaurant and the service says, hi, ladies, and I don't correct them. Every time I choose the women's washroom because people expect that of me and it makes them comfortable. Every time I go to the grocery store and ignore being called miss or ma'am. Every time a close friend misgenders me and my immediate response is to say, no, it's okay as long as you're trying. It's not okay. And I'm not okay, because in order for any of you to even entertain the idea of respecting my existence, I have to water down all of my emotions, lest I live up to the whiny crybaby's trans stereotype that you all have in your heads. Because God forbid you take someone seriously when they are showing valid emotion. Well, she sounds angry in that rant, just talking about being pissed off at cisgender people for mislabeling her because she actually looks like a woman. If you're listening on the audio version of the podcast, if you go to the video version of the podcast you'll see the video and she actually looks like a woman so someone unbeknownst to her personal life would probably being polite with the intent of trying to provide great customer service might think of her as a woman because that's what she looks like and then she gets pissed off and she's mad about it she's upset she's angry in the clip teacher angry in the clip because a cisgendered person a naturally born person of a specific gender misgenders her yeah probably not Probably shouldn't be in the classroom. So you've got people like that that shouldn't be armed. So arming teachers is probably not the way to go. Now, if you're in a place like Wyoming, again, one size isn't going to fit all either. If you're in Wyoming or Montana or someplace where the population is very low, I think what Wyoming has about 400,000 people across the state, and you're in a rural school, yeah, a teacher being armed. In fact, there might be teachers armed as we speak. But a teacher being armed might be a good thing. You want to take away guns. What about ranchers? What about people that live in those remote areas? What about people up in Alaska that need weapons so that they can provide for themselves their food because they can't go to the grocery store? No grocery stores around. Protection against the wildlife that's out there. Or maybe other things that might be out there that they need for protection because there's no police around. See, when you get outside the city, when you get outside of Washington, D.C. and politics, all these issues change. When you look at them from a different perspective, that's why the Nancy Pelosi's, the Chuck Schumer's, the Mitch McConnell's, all those people that have been in Congress for 100,000 years, they are so out of touch and out of reality because they haven't lived. Mitch McConnell's from Kentucky. Why hasn't he done something over the last 20-some years to prevent this from happening? He hasn't. He's from Kentucky. These other people from these other states, no, they don't care. Chicago, forget schools. Chicago is a hotbed for crime, and you can't buy a gun in the city of Chicago. But yet, there's all kinds of shootings going on. So you can't buy a gun in the city of Chicago, the city limits of Chicago, no gun stores. But yet, 
gun violence is tops in Chicago. 46, I believe I read, dead over the Memorial Day weekend. So tell me again how taking guns away is going to uh, fix the problem. Drugs. We have a lot of drugs. That law's on the books saying drugs, bad, you go to prison, can't have drugs. Some states, even marijuana is illegal. But yet fentanyl use and fentanyl death and fentanyl addiction, that's the drug of the day. And others are still running rampant. So people are still importing drugs. People are still, so again, all the laws on the books say you can't do drugs, you can't import drugs, you can't traffic in drugs. But yet the border's wide open and the drugs just keep coming across. What about Canada? If you don't like the gun laws here in the U.S., why don't you go to Canada? All you people that threatened to move to Canada when, what was it, Bush was elected, when Trump was elected, you know what? They're doing away with guns altogether. So why don't you move to Canada now? It's a perfect place for you to go. No guns. And then when the government oppresses you. See, that's the thing that people don't understand about guns. The Second Amendment really has less to do about the right to bear arms so that we can have arms just to go out and shoot things. It's the right to bear arms so that we could rise up against a progressive, uh, an oppressive government to protect ourselves, safety. That's what it's about. And the oppressive government, once they take our guns away, now they can enact things like severe lockdowns like they did in Australia and other countries where citizens don't have guns. That's the thing that keeps America so far from being a dictatorship. These politicians, they're no different than the Russian oligarchs or Putin or any of these dictators. The only thing that keeps them from fully being dictators is the fact that you have states' rights and you have the Constitution. And for Biden or whoever to say that the Constitution is never absolute, really? You guys are monkeying with the Constitution when it comes to abortion. Abortion's not in the Constitution, yet you claim it's a constitutional right. What if we took that away? You give up abortions 100%, and then what if we give up guns? Would you go for that? Probably not. So you have all these things going on, but there is and are places that do provide security measures like this school here in Indiana. Security breach. At Southwestern High School in Indiana, the kids drill. I see they're all running past this red line. What is that? The red line is a security measure, and that's in place because if we stand behind this red line, if there's a shooter at the door, they cannot see the children. And this is something schools can do right now. There's a red line on the ground. Absolutely. But here they go high tech too. The classroom doors are bullet resistant and cameras, so many cameras everywhere. And it's not just school officials watching either. They're connected live with the sheriff's department 10 miles away. Authorities can track an intruder in real time. Every teacher here, you have your own panic button. Yeah, we all wear a fob in case there's a security breach. We can push this button and the entire alarm system goes off in the school. And something else I actually want to show you real quick. When that happens, every classroom has a box like this, also hooked up to the sheriff's department. The teacher can flip help if they actually see the suspect and they're in danger, or they can flip safe if the kids are safe. In 2015, I tested it, playing the intruder. Showing a male subject in a blue suit. If I was a real intruder, I couldn't get into a single classroom. They're all locked. Every last one of them. But the biggest counterattack is yet to come. He's walking towards exit 14. I'm going to launch the hot zone. The school's secret weapon called Hot Zones. Exploding smoke cannons hidden in the ceiling. Cops can deploy them in an instant. Whoa. There's smoke. It is loud and it's meant to disorient 
the suspect, I mean, look at this. The smoke is filling the hallway. You can barely even see me. <coughs> Whoa. The other amazing thing is they're watching the suspect on real-time cameras. So no matter where the suspect goes, they can keep setting off these hot zones. So he stays blind. The system is expensive, $400,000, but school officials say worth it in this scary new world. Jeff Rawson, NBC News, Shelbyville, Indiana. Okay, so that's just one school that has a particular security measure system that's pretty advanced. Now, that might not be reasonable for all schools. But again, there's things that you can do. I mean, what about police patrols? How many times do you see police, maybe the highway patrol, just sitting on the side of the road with their lights on because there's construction going on and they're just sitting there, right? So that's their assignment. Okay, that's fine. Um, But what if we had more routine patrols around school zones? Okay. What if you had more direct contact with the local police department? That's what they're there for. I mean, a lot of people want to defund police. But look at how that's working out across the country. Crime has gone up in California, especially Los Angeles, brazen criminal acts in broad daylight. And so when you have no police, crime is going to go up. But if you increase police patrol, maybe there will be less. But then again, you got issues of police response to these things, as in Columbine, Stoneman, and now Robb Elementary. But you can increase security measures. There's no doubt about it. Obviously, the cost is going to go up. Well, with that, you'd have to find ways to get money. Well, obviously, the first thing you would think about is people go, hey, taxes. But how often do taxes get misused and abused? I mean, just look at the COVID relief money and all that COVID relief money that was given to states that were supposed to go to help schools and teachers with resources and so forth to combat online teaching and the issues and so forth. But never got there. Politicians, they misuse the taxes. I mean, think about the California lottery. Remember back in 1984 when the California lottery came out? The whole thing was billed as a way to provide more money for schools. Schools would never have monetary issues ever again. The lottery was required to provide at least 34% of its revenues to public education. 34% of millions. Not supplement or replace, but in addition to whatever funds they were already being given at the time. Okay. Again, it was billed as education would never have problems with money again. Well, today's classrooms are lacking funding, lacking resources. In fact, in 2011, the California lottery moved into a new $58 million headquarters. That tells you how flush they were with cash. And today, you've got Powerball and what these multi state. Lotteries and schools are still struggling. Teachers are paying out of pocket. You could have private donations and grants. Grant money has to or is supposed to go to exactly what it is that you applied the grant for. Security. Now you have to pay for it legally. Stop sending money overseas. Recently, $40 billion sent to Ukraine. I understand the situation in Ukraine, but don't we have to take care of ourselves first? That $40 billion dollars. I mean, how many $400,000 systems could you buy with $40 billion? I'll let you do the math. What about cut giving to things like Planned Parenthood? Planned Parenthood, which is a billion-dollar company, they get $500 million in tax dollars off the top. Why not give it to school safety, school mental health, school counselors, school psychologists, so that we can have more 
so that we can stop the bullying, so we can address mental health issues, maybe so that we can have people that are going to get a gun go through training. All my guns, I had to go through training courses. I had to do a background check. I had to wait my 10 days. And then once I was cleared, I was able to get it. I'm fine with that. I'm really, truly pro 2A, Second Amendment, like 100%. But I'm also like really leery of just any Yahoo walking into a store, picking up a gun right away and leaving without any type of check. So I'm, I'm all for that. But why do you have to limit it? If you can't fill out a background check, go through a Department of Justice and an FBI, a DOJ and an FBI background check, if you clear that, you should be able then to get an AR-15, a uh, 9mm handgun, whatever it is. Because if the government can't do their job in doing a background check on you, then nobody can. So if the DOJ and the FBI background checks come back clear, you should be able to be free to get your gun, to get your ammunition. You've been cleared. A lot of these places with uh, CCWs, a lot of them want to have uh, constitutional carry, which I completely understand. But I'm, again, I'm kind of leery of just any Yahoo running around with a gun. If you go through a training course, I'm okay with that. Learn how to handle the gun. Learn how to load it, unload it. That's what I did. I went through all those for my own protection, my own safety, but I did all that for myself and to make sure others around me know how to handle a weapon, know how to store it, properly store it. A lot of people, especially with young kids, don't store their guns properly. Educate the parents or the gun owner, I guess you should say. Educate the gun owner and then the gun owner or whomever, educate the kids on what not to do. Don't touch it. Number one rule is treat every gun as if it's loaded. How many accidental shootings do you get? See, again, education, educating people instead of just taking it away because the only thing you're affecting is me and my right. I've been cleared by the DOJ. I've been cleared by the FBI. I've been cleared by the state of California. I've been cleared by the state of Nebraska. Why are you going to penalize me? When I've cleared and done everything that the government currently expects me to do, I've taken the classes, I've taken the training, I passed the classes, I passed the training, I've done it all. And now you want to penalize me? I don't think so. That's what I'm against. So again, you have ways that you'd have to come up with and you'd have to increase spending and you'd have to have responsible government officials monitoring the money. And again, keep in mind that even if you took guns away, You have knives, you have explosive devices, you have other means by which you can carry out, such as 9-11, and they use box cutters on the plane. They use guns, they use box cutters. You've got the Oklahoma City bombing, bombs in a rental truck. You've got Columbine with the pipe bombs and explosive devices, Molotov cocktails. You've got the Boston Marathon bombing. But let's just take a look real quick at some government wasteful spending. Okay, think about all this money that is being used on all these different things that could be used to help schools and education and mental health and psychologists and counselors and teachers and administrators and all different kinds of things that could help the full thing. Because it's not just an active shooter or a gun. It's all the things. Remember, all those shooters had bullying in common. All the shooters had mental health in common. Bad gun ownership. They had bad police response, okay? So there's a lot of things that was thrown into the recipe that created these environments. All this money that is being wasted, imagine if it went to education, to schooling, to teachers, to salary, to training. Think how schools would be today. 
Let's start off with California, the train to nowhere. If you're not familiar with it, look it up. But it was going to be a bullet train from San Francisco to Los Angeles. But it started out like in Stockton to Modesto or someplace like that in the California desert. The original budget was $33 billion. Now it's over $100 billion, and it's stalled. Could you imagine having $100 billion to invest in other things besides this train to nowhere? $100 billion into education, school safety. I mean, how many security systems at $400,000 could you buy for that? You could easily retrofit a lot of schools with $100 billion. You could train. You could get more counselors, more school staff, which is what we'll probably talk about next time is the deficits in schools driving teachers away. But imagine if you had $105 billion from there. Or what about this? Here's some things I just happened to look up. The government spent at least a half a million dollars in federal grants to study how cocaine affects the sexual behavior of Japanese quail. Well, there's one system right there, 518000 to study cocaine and the Japanese quail. Why? The Pentagon in 2017, speaking about Afghanistan, we just pulled out in August, which apparently was a train wreck. They spent $28 million on licensing fees for lush green pattern Afghanistan National Army uniforms. Lush green patterns. Sounds good, doesn't it? Well, the problem was Afghanistan is 98% desert, so the bright colors stood out and they had to scrap it. A waste of $28 million. How about Northwestern University researchers, a federal grant to watch hamsters fight? $3 million spent over the course of the program to watch hamsters fight. What about old schoolhouses, firehouses, offices that aren't being used federally at the federal level or whatever? Over $1.7 billion a year, according to NPR, that governmental agencies pay out just to have vacant, empty buildings sit there. The National Comedy Center in Jamestown, New York, received more than $4.3 million from the state of New York and another $1.7 million, what's that, like $6 million in federal grants so that they can have holograms showing off classic comedians in their heyday. So it's $7 million on, uh, on that stuff. And just some other things. So, uh, again, you had the uh, NPR. These are my sources. You had Reader's Digest. You had the American Heritage Foundation and the Daily Wire. Okay. $708,000 to get zebrafish addicted to nicotine in the UK. $84,000 on a statue purchased from Bob Dylan for the embassy in Mozambique. And then these are the two big ones. Think about this. $22 million to bring Serbian cheese up to international standards. $22 million. $33 million spent on textbook for Afghan students. And $22 million spent on improving quality of Egyptian schooling. So you can do the math. What is that, like $77, $80 million for cheese and for students overseas? I'm not opposed to helping people overseas. But could you imagine if we had, first of all, Afghanistan, now all that money is probably just gone because the Taliban or ISIS or whomever taking over Afghanistan. But could you imagine if you had at least that $77 million to spend on schools here in the U.S.? for safety, for mental health, for awareness, improvements in standards, maybe for staffing issues, all that stuff makes a big difference. So when things like what happened in Texas, in Columbine, in Kentucky, Jonesboro, Arkansas, and all the other places 
It's the same old rhetoric from the same old politicians that have been there for 20-some years. They've never solved one problem when it comes to this. And it's the same old rhetoric. And we have to get outside of that because we have the technology. We have the advancements in security measures. We have the advancement in our own knowledge and understanding from these events that people have learned from. A lot of us security experts out there that could probably come up with greater plans than I can. I know there's one organization that some of the moms or a couple of the moms from uh, Sandy Hook who lost their kids, they came up with a, uh, a foundation, a nonprofit, to address these issues. So I know it's out there. School administrators and schools just have to have the desire to do it. But what have we heard from? School boards targeting parents, calling them domestic terrorists, asking for the National Guard to come in, and the FBI to investigate them as domestic terrorists. School boards no, don't even care about their kids. CRT, LGBT, 1619 Project, all these things because they want to be woke in their education and their curriculum. You have teachers like the ones I played that go by that are so confused by their own pronouns that they couldn't even handle a crisis situation, especially if it was in a place like Robb Elementary School or even in California with an earthquake or the Midwest with a tornado or maybe a hurricane. You know, Oklahoma one time had a tornado go through one of the cities in Oklahoma and it happened during school hours and there was no shelter. No underground shelter. And people kept asking, why, why, why? Well, when they did the research, they realized that when these schools were built and they compared it to tornado reports, tornadoes came after school hours. This was one of the rarest occasions where a tornado came through during school hours. So even though it looked like schools weren't prepared, which they obviously weren't, it didn't happen. Nothing happens until it does. So what did Oklahoma learn? Every new school now has safety shelters for severe weather, regardless, because in case it happens again, they're going to be prepared. That's learning. That's education. That's trying to adapt because it only takes that one time for it to happen. It'll never happen here. Well, it doesn't happen until it does. We need to rethink, change our mindset so that we can have better safety, better security, better educational environment better mental health, and all these things that added to the recipe of these shootings that went on. Two Steps Ed podcast, encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. I'm Son Edom. RadioWarp.com, that's Radio W-A-R-P. RadioWarp.com is a website where you can find the show. Just click on the Two Steps Ahead podcast logo, and all the shows pop up. You can also find us on YouTube, which RadioWarp.com will take you to YouTube and to our SoundCloud account. And then you can follow the accounts and never miss an episode. Instagram, TWO, Two Steps Ahead Podcast. Uh, my personal page, Edom Rocks, E-I-D-E-M-R-O-C-K-S. Link tree link in the bio takes you to our YouTube, SoundCloud, Radio Warp, the merchandise store, and all these cool places. And then uh, all you have to do is listen anywhere you listen to podcasts. Google search Two Steps Ahead Podcast, TWO, Two Steps Ahead Podcast, and we pop up so we're pretty easy to find. Two Steps Ed Podcast, again, encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. I'm Son Edom. We'll see you next time. And until then, God bless.